Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Unapologetic Woman. I am so excited. I know I say that all the time, but I really, really am. I get to interview today Janelle, who is just incredible. I was actually on her podcast a couple months ago, and it was the first time we met, and it was just like this instant love. Like, I just think she's just so powerful for what she's created, what she's done. So I want to share a little bit about her and introduce her. So Janelle, after six years in big law as a commercial real estate associate in the largest law firm in the world, she walked away to start life as a business and branding strategist. And through her company, SideBizSmart, and her online community over on Instagram, her work centers on helping six-figure employees start and stabilize success and side businesses so they can ditch corporate America, hallelujah to that, and begin living healthier, wealthier, and more fulfilled lives as entrepreneurs. After scaling her own business to multiple six figures in under a year and helping her clients do the same, she lights up at the thought of helping miserable millennials understand the value in decentralizing work, particularly corporate structures, and building a life around their personal priorities and problems that really matter to them. And you can find the bulk of her work on her website, JanelleNicole.co, or on Instagram at HeyJNicole, and on her self-care and side biz podcast, Sunset Provisions, which is streaming on every major platform. So welcome, Janelle. What a freaking bio and incredible work that you've done. And obviously just having interacted with you already, it's just like, I know everyone who's listening is just going to benefit left and right. They're going to have to keep pausing because they're going to have to keep writing notes because you're just (laughs) on fire. You were so kind. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor for me to be here right now. You're so sweet. So, you know, I love, you know, as I was saying to you earlier, digging a little bit deeper. So, you know, there's lots of you know, things we can talk about in terms of your success, and we're going to definitely get there. But what I want to know, and I want to start off with first is I want you to share a little bit about who you actually are beyond, you know, what Instagram sees and beyond what businesses that you have. But if you were to describe yourself, like, how would you describe that? That is funny enough, a really deep question, because I do feel like I'm just meeting myself for the first time, to be honest. I feel like I grew up there was like a path. Like I knew the good girl or the right thing or the admirable thing or the respectable thing to do. And I never once questioned like my thoughts or opinions on any of it. I just kept rolling forward, which is why I think I ended up where I'm at. 
which led to me just like quitting and stopping everything a couple of years ago and just rebuilding from ground zero. So all that is background to say, who am I now? I think I would describe myself as I really like to be innovative and really challenge people. I'm starting to be the type of person who is like repulsed at the status quo. So anything that's like everyone's doing it or no one's really questioning why they're doing it, my skin starts to crawl. That's new for me. I am someone who is obsessed with my dog. My dog is my family, my whole life. I'm really committed to showing other people how much I think we've all been living with the veil over our eyes and really exemplifying like what life can be like, whether it's me or my clients or my friends or anyone, just like how we can be a lot more intentional and like really enjoying this human experience. Wow. That was a lot right there. And it's so beautiful. <laughs> and I love that you said that you're meeting yourself, you know, and I think it's really important that people recognize and realize that we're constantly meeting ourselves. This, you know, who you were even a day ago is not who you are today. And I know that sounds like some people are like, oh, that's such fluff, but it's not. It's because every experience is dictating and showing us, you know, validating who we are, or it's invalidating what we thought we knew about ourselves. And as an entrepreneur that is building and, you know, I think one of the scariest part about being an entrepreneur, more than us taking the risk of walking away from corporate or walking away from any of that is that we are now supporting a community that's believing in us. So if this community is believing in us, like we really have to show up. Yeah. So how do you do that? You know, with your community that you're building and you know, the summit that you were going to be having September 18th weekend, how are you showing up for them without putting all this weight on yourself that if you don't show up in an X, Y, Z way, then that means you're not being authentic to yourself. I feel like I realized almost immediately that the pressure to perform was too heavy. So even the basis of how I started my community, the basis of how I started this business, it all started when I was studying for the bar the second time I had passed in New York. I had waved into DC. I was moving to Georgia. I had to take it again. And I was studying. And after I was studying, I just started sharing on Instagram, how happy I was and just like the good stuff that was happening. But I was going back and replaying how at former jobs, it was bad. And I had a really bad experience. And what I learned was people resonated a million times more with the honest download story that maybe other people had never mentioned before or talked about before than anyone ever did at the curated beach vacation or anything like that. Right. And so like literally from day one of me saying, I want to use my platform and my Instagram, like for more than just vacations and dinners and like fun weekends with my friends. I knew and realized that like the honest story was so much more valuable. I can't say why, but I've never wanted to portray anything other than the truth. And that's been so valuable to me because one, I don't have to come up with things. I don't have to stage things. Like the content on my Instagram is literally me just turning on my camera and talking some days. And then two, I've really found how many people are looking for permission and that by me just being honest in whatever that looks like, whether it's good or it's bad, I actually find a lot of my clients need and want permission to be good and to like brag and to say things are okay. And 
So me giving them permission to be like, I'm rich and sometimes I cry and this is hard. And my dog had explosive diarrhea this week. Like all of it is just like, I just, yeah. And it's easier. It's easier for me to just be me than to try to curate anything for anyone. I also think I have a low embarrassment threshold. So where I think other people might be embarrassed by some stories, I just don't think I get embarrassed. I see so much more value in the connection that happens when someone relates than in anything or anyone who would have thought it was less than, if that makes sense too. That absolutely makes sense. It's just that comes with the territory, right? Like you're so sounds like comfortable in your skin or getting there and learning to grow. You're nodding your health. No, no, I would, that's why <laughs> I would not say I'm comfortable in my skin at all. That's interesting because being able to have that low threshold with embarrassment and being able to be out there and saying like, this is who I am, you know, there is a level of comfort. And I'm wondering if you thinking and feeling that you're not comfortable in your skin is just because you're shedding a part of you and you're Mm -hmm. owning up to a new part of you, but then there's that perfectionism and that, you know, must be this way for you to like, give yourself permission to own that. Hey, I actually might be comfortable in my skin. Ooh, that's good. I've never actually considered that. (laughs) I will sit with that. (laughs) <laughs> so that, uh, well, one of the things that I think stood out from when you were talking is just about even knowing that what you find valuable is that honesty and being able to share yourself and not have things so curated, which is something we're so used to in social media. And that of course then creates that, you know, nervousness and perfectionism to grow more and imposter syndrome. So it sounds like you have really done a little bit of digging around what your values are and how you live by that. And how does that impact your day-to-day? I always thought values were real fluffy and I would always skip that part. Whenever it was, you know, a part of the professional development, I always skipped over it. And when I started my business, I really did want to understand not even so much at the beginning of my business, but when I wanted to bring on team members, I wanted to be really clear what we represented and how I wanted them to hold themselves out and what I wanted to resonate with them and how I wanted us to show up for clients. And that's when I really dug into core values, both for my business and myself. And it's just so powerful. I would say as much as I don't like it, I think excellence and achievement is really a high core value of mine. I've been trying to reformat that away from perfectionism and closer towards healthy striving, but that is something that's very integral to me. Innovation is one that's like a blaring. That's probably my top core value. I love anything that's different, anything that's creative, anything that's unique. I give a lot of weight and value to that. And then especially now that I've left my job, a core value that I think is coming out more and more is like serenity and peace and Mm -hmm. contentment is maybe the best way I like to describe that. Whereas before I felt like there was the, the achievement part of me connected that to more and more and more and more. Whereas now I'm just like, it's the gratitude and the contentment and like the calm that is more valuable to me. Wow. That's really, really powerful. And, you know, it's interesting because you said that as much as you didn't like to admit that with the excellence and achievement. So what is it about that, that is still not sitting well with you? It's more that I think I lean more perfectionistic than healthy achieving. And so I will find myself doing things that I don't like things that 
I feel like I left my job to get away from, and now I've, I'm doing it to myself, like working on a Saturday night, but like on one side of my brain, I like it and I love it. And it's what I want to do. It's fun. I'd rather do that than watch TV. But then on the other side, it's like, but am I doing this because I need this to be perfect and because I need to show up Mm -hmm. and because I'm so worried about how this is going to look. And I just, I'm seeing so much now how perfectionism, like I'm understanding thanks to therapy kind of where it started. And it very much has started when I was growing up. My sister is a couple of years younger than me, but she has pretty severe special needs. And I think the message, whether my parents or my grandparents or whoever intended it or not, was you need to not be the problem child because your parents have enough on their plate. Like when I go back and hear even how my parents describe me as a kid, it's like, you always had this thing in you. You just, you know, you were always the best. You were really competitive. We never had to worry about you. But I do think a part of that came from that situation. And so then I've just always been on this high speed train. So now that I'm finally at least aware I'm on the train, I'd like to get off, but it's really hard. It's hard to jump when the train is moving really fast. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. One of the hardest parts is the awareness piece, you know, and we are continuously just operating in this like way where we're half asleep and we wonder like, well, why does this keep coming up? Why does this keep coming up? And one of the things that I will tell my clients is that when we focus on the why, we just kind of stay stuck because we're ruminating on trying to find this answer so that we don't feel bad. We're soothing that anxiety. We're soothing that, you know, justification, right? Like if we think about even from a spiritual space, I guess, right? Like why does religion or spirituality exist? Because humans have such a need to feel like I need to have answers And when we focus then a little bit more like away from like, I need to have answers and more of, well, I recognize that this has been hard, you know, it served me up until this point, but now moving into that next level, this isn't going to serve me anymore. So how do I shift that and focus more on the what and the how Mm -hmm. can make a world of a difference. But I want to know, like, you know, you brought up your family and you brought up that feeling of, you know, I need to be self-sufficient. I need to be self-reliant and independent so that my parents can be relaxed in a way. It was like flipped of don't worry, mom and dad, I got me, you know, you can take care of sister. So one of the biggest things is, especially when we're moving into our work world, business world is that these narratives really start to show up when we're working with our teams, when we're leading teams, when we are working with our community. So what were the narrative that you had for yourself, which is what you shared and how are you working on flipping that? The perfectionism comes through a lot with my team. And I was already really afraid to hire. When I left my job, I thought I was going to be a solopreneur. I would Mm -hmm. just work from home. It would just be me. But really, I think it was part of me just being afraid that if I were to bring someone on, I would recreate the environment that I felt harmed me so much. And I got to a point where I physically couldn't do it anymore by myself. So my first hire was one of my former interns who I love deeply, and she's doing a wonderful job. And I was, I mean, terrified. I I remember right before her first day, I was crying because I didn't want to mess it up. I didn't want to create something. I didn't want to be the boss's who I had experienced, but I could feel how easily it happened. And for me, it would show up even in her first couple of weeks. Like I work really late again. I like it, but also I struggle with the boundaries and I want everything to be perfect. And so I would email her at 11 o'clock and she'd 
email me back. And it's like, no, this is toxic, Janelle. This is the environment you didn't want. So I think it goes to the awareness that you were saying. And I communicate with my whole team now. I let them know the boundaries that I'm working on, the things I'm working on. When I notice something I'm doing that's toxic, we start all of our meetings with this start, stop, keep. And so I have them say something that we, you know, as a team, they would like us to start doing, stop doing, and something that we should keep doing. And I let them know too, the things that I'm working on. But I think, you know, how that showed up a lot has been with my team. And like you said, the awareness of seeing how I have control to build the life that I want. And I have to use that intentionality, even when it's really, really hard. Absolutely. And I think that's really beautiful that you're trying to set those boundaries with your teams that they know that even if you're working at 11 PM, doesn't mean that they have to be. And, you know, it's just that that's when you're performing and doing your work and they can respond when, when they're ready or it's their time. How is it with now having a team and how long has it been that you've had this team now? I think they came on in March. So my first person joined in March and now I have three employees and three interns Wow, and a bunch of contractors and vendors. Yeah. Of course, it's always ever evolving. Anyone who out there who thinks that being an entrepreneur means you have very low overhead cost is dreaming. <laughs> that is probably one of the biggest things where it's like just because you're working virtually from home and you know, you have a coaching business. I get this told a lot from some of my friends actually, like, oh my gosh, you must be saving so much money because you're in COVID. I'm like, right. If I had a nine to five job, that is when you actually yeah. save the money. But anyways, yeah. I go on a side tangent there. So, you know, as you've been growing this team, and so one of the hardest parts for a leader is even the loneliness that can show up because your team is operating with each other. They're the peers, you know, they can connect with each other. How do you sustain, you know, one, your position yourself as the CEO of the company and second, working on that piece of not feeling like you're alone in that role? I think that I found out during COVID that I'm a lot more introverted than I thought initially. And so I don't experience so much loneliness. I think it's also the season in business I'm at where it's just like so, so busy. I don't experience that much loneliness, but I do put some, I think, boundaries between being friends with my employees and confiding in them. I instead look for peers. So I have a number of really good friend business owners who are similarly situated. We started our businesses around the same time. We're at about the same place. We have our goals, again, similarly situated. And those are the people I really turn to when I have a question or I'm dealing with imposter syndrome or like anything. Those are my people. Whereas my team, I am trying really hard to create a balance of I'm a nice person to work for. I'm funny. I care about you and your life and I'm invested, but we're not friends. And for me, that comes through, like, I don't follow any of my employees on social media because I want to give them the space to talk shit about their jobs and be like, my boss is acting crazy or I'm so busy or whatever. I I want them to have freedom of expression in a way that even though my business is largely revolved around social media that it's not like I'm spying on them. Like I want them to have their privacy and their right to share and and all of that. So I think, you know, for me, it's important that everyone who works with me thinks that I'm kind and knowledgeable, but that they know and think of me as the leader and not a buddy. That is so, so key because one of the biggest things that I know my clients struggle with is this constant wanting to be liked and wanting to be 
you know, they go into that place of like pleasing, right? So your team asks for something, they need support around something. And the first thing they do is dive right in and be like, oh, I'll help you. I'll do it. And then later they're like, wait a second, I'm doing all the work that I hired these people to do for me. And now I don't want them to feel burdened. I don't want, them, but yet you're feeling burdened. So, mm-hmm. you know, what was that like for you as you were bringing on people to work for you and you were transitioning into like, I mean, you've created this boundary, but what was that like initially? I think it helped to start with opening the doors very wide to receiving feedback, me receiving critical negative feedback. I wanted from day one that everyone felt comfortable to tell me if something wasn't working or if the process we had in place wasn't the best. And so that's why even starting our team meetings with the start, stop, keep, I want it to start with the good, the bad, and the great feedback. And so just genuinely opening up the space for feedback, I think decreased the bar of the people around me being afraid to be honest, but also invited and let them know that I was going to be honest. And my intention was to be honest. So that helped me in the feedback area and being able to give critical feedback and not feel like it ever came from a place of malice or being unkind in that way. And then on the flip side, I still really want to be liked, you know, and I think that the PTSD I had from corporate actually serves me really well because I take the time to message everyone this afternoon. I just sent a thank you. Like everybody, I really appreciate how hard you're working. And like, I am so grateful every day to know that y'all are on my team. Like, this is so nice. Remembering to genuinely say thank you when something goes well, we're celebrating people. Or, you know, I write down the names of all of my team members' pets and I check in and see how they're doing and how the camp was and how the training's been. And just like being intentional to key into their personal lives, that to me is nice. I don't need to, you know, necessarily laugh with them or necessarily, you know, go out for drinks on Fridays to be nice. I can be nice in other ways. I also think that being honest is nice. That's something I feel like I've learned recently, that actually wanting to be nice at the cost of honesty is really just manipulation. It's me not being honest and just saying something. So you react a certain way that's low key evil. So I want to strip that from my life. And and I just want to lean a thousand percent towards honesty, authenticity, here's all the facts in every area of my life for sure. Wow. Again, seriously, so much right there. Gosh, Janelle, I could talk to you forever. It's just beautiful. Like what you just said, you know, and one of the things I always say is that there's a difference between actually being nice and kind and nice, which is, you know, there's Midwest nice, right? There's California nice and all of that. And I'd say nice is the one where it's more of, I'm going to be nice to your face and I'm going to be nice because that's a polite thing to do. But then underneath it all, I'm hiding a lot of feelings that I'm feeling about you, about me, about the situation, environment, but it's not nice to say that. And I think kind, which is actually what you're insinuating that you're doing is more of the, it's kind to be able to be honest and it's kind to share with someone where they stand, where you stand so that it really takes away assumptions. It takes away any misinformation, misguidance that can create negativity in the environment and between relationships. And so when you're talking about it, I actually see that more as not necessarily even wanting to be liked, but you just having really high EQ and just, you know, really great emotional intelligence, lots of empathy and recognizing that 
you're working with humans ultimately and humans want to be cared for and humans want to be, and need to be liked. It's part of our DNA wanting to be feeling like we're in sense of belonging community. So that I think is so incredibly powerful is that you recognize the importance and, you know, I'm a huge Richard Branson groupie, huge. And one of the things I used to fly his Virgin Atlantic flight anywhere, you know, domestically, internationally, I was like, just go with that. I remember asking one of the flight attendants, I'm like, so is Richard Branson really like all about the people? You know, I, I just really wanted to know if he's really living out his values. And the flight attendant said that the new hire trainings happen on a quarterly, I think he said, or every six months, I forgot. Anyways, it happens on a, you know, some basis, right? And so it's like, 50 new hires, hundred new hires, whatever. If Richard Branson can't be there physically in person, he will show up over a virtual webinar like zoom. But when he was there, so this flight attendant experienced Richard Branson actually coming into the training and he knew every single person's name, their family member's name, their kids' names. He knew what was going on with them. And he's like, you know, the flight attendant was like, I don't care that he may have just studied it maybe an hour before, but this guy who built an empire wants to know who I am. And that right there shows me that, you know, this is a place where people care. He's role modeling that. So that made me even a bigger groupie of his, <laughs> but you are doing exactly that. You are showing, you know, one of the things that my clients also sometimes struggle with who are introverts is that CEOs and leadership has been presented to be like, it's an extroverts world that you have to be charming and engaging and on all the time. And I tell them that majority of the CEOs in the world are actually introverts. And one of the biggest things is that you as a CEO get to decide how you want to engage with your employees, how you want to engage with your team. It doesn't have to show up in the exact same way everywhere. This is why you started your business. You get to decide what that looks like and your employees who are attracted to you are the ones who are going to come who resonate with that style. And the yeah. ones who decide to leave are the ones who don't resonate. And that's great because then you're making space for the ones who do. So you talking and you sharing that just, this is what is going through my mind. This is what I'm hearing. It's just that you are really creating space for yourself and for your employees to show up in the most honest way. Yeah. I think most people in life just want to be seen. Yeah. And it's interesting how we all want that so badly, but most people don't take the time to really figure out how to effectively do that for the people in your lives, whether that's your significant other or the people you work with or your parents, like we all want it, but we aren't necessarily willing to figure out how to give it. And I think that has been the cornerstone of my life is really understanding like, okay, how do I see everybody that I experience right now? And I also think how you were saying about CEOs being introverts is very interesting because I think I agree with that. And if I think about the reasons why I personally left corporate America, it's because I was exhausted from showing up in ways I didn't want to anymore. And I really wanted exactly like you said, to create this space for myself. And also, I mean, you were saying nuggets just then too, like when you were saying it's okay for you to show up exactly how you want. And that if, you know, people are going to be attracted to you for that and others are going to be repelled. That's why that we can have unlimited ideas and businesses. And you and I could open the same exact business, but the way we show up and the way we see people and give permission is going to be different and attract different people. So there are infinite 
opportunities to lead, to start businesses, to whatever that looks like for people. Just, you know, we were all afraid to be the not cool person growing up, but really leaning into that uniqueness of you is like the sweet spot of life, of success, of abundance, of all of it. Absolutely. So how would you then describe you now in terms of your journey that you've gone through from that narrative of, you know, I have to be self-sufficient. I have to be, you know, perfect. I have to be achieving at the highest level. And, you know, one of the things that I also mentioned is that perfectionism, of course, is not the healthiest way to interact. However, there are traits within perfectionism that are good. They are good qualities, being motivated, being driven, being focused, being wanting and desiring something where you want to then achieve and be like, yes, I got that. Those are great qualities. But how would you say that you've been able to not only break, you know, that generational belief, but you've helped role model that for people in your family? I can't say with an honest heart that I've broken it yet. I think it's still a work in progress, but to the modeling it for my family part, I mean, I do think my parents very much put me on the lawyer path that I was going to be the first person in my family to go to professional school. You know, when I entered the law firm, I was making more money. My dad was joking. I was making more money than he was making at like the height of his career. My first year as an employed attorney, and it was lovely and it was crazy. And it was I was grateful, but it's so fun to have them come see me now. A story I love to tell is every time my dad would come to visit me when I was working at the law firm, I would, for whatever reason, be on a crazy deal and he would be staying with me and I would stay up all night working and he would see me like on the phone, the phone's ringing until four o'clock in the morning. I'm working, I'm on the computer, I'm not sleeping. And he's like asleep on the couch because I'm in my office, like working. And so they recently just came to visit me and it was like, I went to dinner with them and we hung out and I went to bed before them. And it was like, so relaxed. And my spirit was so relaxed. And my mom started to cry because she was like, I really felt like you were on this bad path. Like it was really unhealthy. And now you're, you know, it's so light and it's so great and it's so healthy. And and you're really showing other people. Your question is how am I breaking that? And how am I relaying that with my family? I think by just living in this truth I have is really showing my parents like, wow, our daughter is really taking this incredible advantage. And I think it makes them proud that I'm able to do that. And then in breaking perfectionism, I mean, I think it's still a daily struggle. I think it's reminding myself that I have a choice. It's reminding myself that I left the environment I was in because I didn't enjoy how perfectionism and how that type of focus felt. So I can choose differently. And it's reminding myself that like, I don't expect the people around me to be perfect. I don't hold them to those standards. I doubt anyone else is holding me to those standards. And what I'm doing is good enough. If my intentions are pure, if I'm working as hard as I can, that's going to be good enough. And it's like an addiction almost. I really feel like I have to work at it regularly, but we're getting there. We're making progress. Oh my God. You gave me chills. (laughs) You really just gave me chills. I have like no words now and I'm a chatterbox. So that's a big, big deal. Your story about you making more than your dad at the peak of his career. I feel like that is so relatable, especially for a lot of people of color. And, you know, myself as someone who's an immigrant, like I wasn't born here. And so I'm not even first generation yet, but 
that story hits home so much. And I think that, you know, even with my clients, a lot of them being women of color, there sometimes is guilt about the fact that I'm making more than my parents did. Mm -hmm. And there's this guilt of, you know, as if I'm sorry that I'm doing this, but yet they have such pride. Like this is why they came to this country for immigrants and for others. You know, it's more of like, this is why we work so hard to give you a better future. Right. And so did you experience any of that guilt? Yeah, I experienced a lot of guilt. It wasn't in the form of feeling bad that I was making more money than my parents. I experienced the guilt when I was making that money and I hated it. And I had to call them and be like, I know this is hard for you to really understand because I do feel like their generation was a lot more fiscally motivated. And so they did jobs for a lifetime that they did not enjoy to support us. So that's where I felt guilt and massive disrespect to call and be like, I'm not happy. So I want to quit. And it's like, I remember my dad being like, what, can't you just stick it out? Like you're making so much money. Can't you hold on a couple more years? And then, then, I mean, my job really took an emotional toll on me. So he saw, and he definitely did not try to encourage me too long to stay in. But in the beginning, I knew almost instantly I didn't like it. And in the beginning, it was like, oh, just stick it out, you know, make some money, keep it going. And it's like, I felt really bad calling them and saying like, I can't do it. I don't think I did this on purpose, but I do think I subconsciously wanted to plant the seeds. So when work was really hard, I would call them and cry, but it came to the point that I was calling them every weekend and crying. And I think that helped them understand like mentally where I was but it didn't make it any easier. And I agree that I think the first generation stuff, my mom, I'm first generation. My mom is also an immigrant Mm -hmm. and I feel like there were just so many layers of guilt to say the first time I think I want to walk away. And that's why my business exists is because it's almost like therapy that I have to coach people through the admitting that they don't like it. Like so many times they know they don't like it, but they're going to try to pivot. Like even in starting a business, they know they don't like the law, but maybe they don't like the law firm. So they're going to open their own law firm. And it's like, you don't want to do that. You want to be a chef. You want to go and open a bakery. You want to perform in the Olympics. Like let's do that. Right. Let's not try to make this work because other people will be feeling any type of feelings, but a thousand percent, I felt that. And I think that was one of the hardest components and also just like how I was going to make it work. Like the fear, the general fear, the nameless fear. You know, one of the things is like with that guilt and of course, right. There's this innate human behavior again, about wanting to please parents, wanting to get their approval, wanting them to see us for, yes, you can go do this. And then we feel a little bit more liberated and free to go ahead. And so that piece of calling them and them hearing you, you know, and whether it's a subconscious plant that's been seeded or whether it's just intentional, I think it's really important that we also recognize that our parents are human and they came with their own set of wounds and they've come with their own narrative that was because of their experiences. So when we are sharing ours, you know, they may not understand it right away, but it's just like training, you know, when we engage with them, when we let them in to our world that's the way that then they're going to start experiencing us. And so you sharing that, you know, I think what's really important and what I want the listeners to hear 
is that even today as an incredibly successful business owner, as someone who's built a team, as someone who is still learning about themselves, you know, that these are the real raw parts of being human that we experience. And, you know, tomorrow, if you pivot your business to something else that may show up again, but this time, you know, what you have to do in order to pivot from feeling that guilt to the degree that you may have before, or from taking that decision, you know, instead of lingering into that decision. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of that, because I think it's really important that people see that it doesn't matter if you're starting your business. It doesn't matter if you're stepping into leadership for the first time. It doesn't matter if you are the CEO of a massive company, you're human beings. And, you know, I always like to actually take away the word, well, you're just human. You're not a robot because why are we even using the word just being human is complex. So you're owning and honoring all of these moving parts at the same time. And that's really, really special. There's two questions I like to ask when I close out the podcast. The first question I want to ask you is what is your definition of an unapologetic woman? How would you describe what an unapologetic woman means to you? In this season of my life, I think being unapologetic looks like disregard for what other people are thinking, considering, or possibly judging. I think unapologetic looks like trying as hard as you can to hear and identify and give space to that inner voice. And for me, that voice has been really silenced. And so learning how to create space to allow that voice to speak clearly and loudly as she feels more confident and authenticity. I think that really is the cornerstone for me. Like I don't have to apologize. I am unapologetic when I am authentically myself. And so I have no reason need or desire to apologize when I just lead with the truth. It's beautiful. And I love that you said in this season, that is so beautiful because it really, again, it reminds you that you're ever evolving. The second question I had for you is who has that been for you in your life? (laughs) Wow. That's a hard one. And you can have multiple. So I feel hung up, not because I have multiple, but I don't know too many people who genuinely live unapologetically personally. I know people who I assume based on television or social media are unapologetic, but I don't have a ton of examples right now of people, period, men or women who are really leaning into my definition of unapologetic at the level that I am also trying to do that. So I was not prepared for how deep that question would be, but I feel like that's the center of a lot of even my therapy sessions now is you asked me about loneliness and I don't feel that way in business so much, but I do feel that way in personal development and finding other people who really resonate with what we've been talking about today and living full out, walking towards fear in their truth. I don't think I have examples. I can't think of one. I'm embarrassed. I can't think of one. No, no embarrassment, but I'm curious actually. Now this is like propelling another question in my mind is 
this definition that you've created about the unapologetic woman and then not knowing if there's someone who's really living that, is that creating a little bit of idealism in you? Yes, probably. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel really stumped. If I'm being honest, like, I don't think my mom is unapologetic. I think she's very apologetic, but she knows that. (laughs) I haven't worked for bosses in corporate who I felt were unapologetic. I am lost. Even the friends I have around me, I don't feel like anyone's doing it. So maybe I just made up a whole idea that maybe doesn't exist, but yeah. I think what you just did was freaking awesome because what you just did was just show also that, you know, when we have these definitions, we've created this of like, what is this description? And then we look at everyone around us. We see that we're all a work in progress. And so even being unapologetic is really just showing and honoring that honesty and that truth. And to me, where, from where I'm sitting at, I see you as that unapologetic woman. That one who is really honoring your truth, your honesty, seeing yourself as a work in progress, seeing your friends, seeing your mother as human and not putting her on a pedestal. All of that is raw. It's honest. It's human. It's unapologetic. I'll take that. I'll take that. Whoosh. That was harder than I thought. You're the only one who hasn't been able to give a name, but I actually think of that as the most powerful answer because I do hope now that people do think a little bit more reflective and deeply about who that is for them, whether it's a mentor from afar or whether it's someone in their lives, because we put people on pedestals, you know, we put these celebrities and everyone else on pedestals. And the whole purpose of me creating the unapologetic woman is to show that you do not need to have that big platform of, you know, of course, yes, like Michelle Obama, Meghan Markle, whoever, but you in your own community, how are you role modeling? How are you shifting behavior in the smallest ways? You have absolute influence around the people around you. And that right there is unapologetic, you know, showing up for yourself, showing up for the people around you. So, you know, that I think is so powerful where I think a lot of times guests come on and they'll say like, oh, my mom or this mentor, that mentor. I mean, I've done the same thing. And so for you to acknowledge that, I don't know, I don't know who that is. To me, that just shows that we collectively are figuring it all out. I agree. I'm with you. Awesome. Well, Janelle, I want you to share with everyone how they can reach out to you, how they can follow you, where they can hear about all your beautiful, beautiful messages that you have to share with the world, your innovation, your creativity, just your badassery. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. So the best place to connect with me is honestly on Instagram. It is at Hey, H-E-Y, the letter J, and then Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. That's the best place. I'm in my DMs. I'm the person there. I will be until I physically cannot anymore. So I'll be the person there. If you ever have any questions or want to connect, I would love if you send me a DM and tell me you found me from listening to this wonderful podcast. That would make my day. If you're interested in any of my services and you know, looking at my programs or coming to an event or something like that, you can find all the information about me, about my podcast, all of it over at JanelleNicole.co. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely have everything linked also in the show notes for everyone. But definitely, if anyone is listening to this and you're considering figuring out, leaving corporate, leaving whatever it is, you know that you have a bigger dream and you just can't figure out what it is or how to take that next step, 
Janelle is your gal. So make sure that you follow and start connecting with her. So with that, thank you so much, Janelle, for being on. I so appreciate you. And I know everyone's going to get so much out of this. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to The Unapologetic Woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe so you'll get real-time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at Pileberry. DM me to let me know. I'm all ears. If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then, take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, and be ready to embrace your next epiphany.